Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 6. I forgave you because my brother loves you, but I don't fuck with your click. Breeze. Bree stepped out of the chauffeur Maybach with oversized Bulgari shades hiding her true emotions from the cameras. She was the surviving child of the infamous king of Miami, Carter Diamond. She was a living legend, and everyone wanted a piece of her. For real? Word? Are, for real? Okay. Controversy circled the family like vultures waiting for death. The news reporter stayed on her particularly. Everyone wanted a comment, an interview. Even Time Magazine had offered her money for a sit-down. Why? Why? What exact Why? 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 Street fame was turning into actual fame for Breeze. She wanted none of it, however. The only thing Breeze craved at the moment was Zaire. Loneliness consumed her days, while the only companionship she had at night was grief. Lena and Mia Moore were lucky. They had the seeds of the men they loved to cultivate. Even in Carter and Monroe's absence, the children they left behind provided comfort. Breeze was alone. Breeze was not a mother. She had no piece of Zaire, besides her memory, and even those weren't enough. That comma was in a bad spot. She wanted her man. She was skeptical about his well-being. A part of her didn't believe that he was alive, but Mia Moore seemed so sure that he kept a tiny spark of hope blazing in Breeze's chest. Breeze was the weakest link, but she hid it well. Sunglasses were a permanent veil to cover her red, puffy eyes. Her expensive clothes distracted the masses from her hunched shoulders. She disguised her burden well because she made sure she was always put together right. It was how her mother, Taryn, had raised her. You have to always be a bad bitch. That's that's the words of wisdom her mom gave her? Okay. Those are the same words of wisdom that uh, Winter's mom gave her. You know, I'm just a bad bitch. It was where she had lived by her entire life, but in the absence of all the people who had sworn to be her protectors, they never rang more true. The hired goon stood suited in Italian threads while concealing American metal in his holster. His six-foot-five-inch frame pushed the reporters out the way as she trailed him into the building to meet the federal prosecutor. Miss Diamond, how does it feel to be the last member of the cartel standing? Is it true that your family's responsible for 70% of the murders in Day County? Is it, though? Because from what I heard, the murder mamas were responsible for, like, 92% of the murders in Miami. So, where are we here? Miss Diamond, can you comment on the mysterious plane crash that killed your brothers and living boyfriend? Breeze kept her head low as she held on to the back of her bodyguard shirt. The thirsty media was so focused on breaking up in the story of the largest crime family in the South, and they were relentless in their tactics. Relief came as she stepped inside of the rotating doors. What what tactics? They asked a the question. They're standing outside with a bunch of other people who, obviously she's supposed to be Kim Kardashian in this book, I guess. I don't know. Wait here for me, she instructed. The average person would have been shaken by a request to meet with the law. But Breeze was fully prepared. 
She had a pit on the chain in the form of her attorney, Rosenberg, and like a loyal dog ready to bark, he stood waiting for her in the lobby. He had represented the family for years, dating back to Big Carter and Polo. He knew of their dealings intimately and had protected them from persecution for a few decades. He had attended family barbecues, holidays, and birthday parties. Breeze felt completely safe in his care. Did they mean persecution or prosecution? Breeze, how are you? He asked as he greeted her with a firm handshake. We're not even going to give Rosenberg a first name, are we? It's just Rosenberg. He's Jewish. Because he's a lawyer. He's Jewish. He doesn't get a first name. His whole name is Rosenberg, like Eminem and Bono. I'd feel better if I didn't have to be here. What's this about? She asked as they made their way to the elevators. This is the fishing expedition, Rosenberg replied. You can let me do all the talking. That's what you pay me the big bucks for. He gave her a wink and she smiled, feeling relaxed as she followed one of her father's oldest friends into the lion's den. Rosenberg led her directly into the office of Daniel Broom, the PA assigned to take down her family. Her internal alarm immediately went up. Rosenberg, I didn't realize you'd be joining us, Broom said. The two guests took a seat without being asked, and Breeze folded her legs, making herself comfortable. You should know better by now, Daniel, Rosenberg replied, showing disrespect by using his first name. That's disrespect? It's not familiarity? It's disrespect? Like, what? Daniel Broom was an American-bred golden boy. Son of a senator and an Ivy League grad, he came out of law school with a ready-made position and a ready-made first name. He had assisted on many cases, including the original case that the feds had brought against Carter Diamond. When they didn't convict, Broom had a hard-on for the cartel, and now that the children of the man whom had eluded the law, now that the children of the man whom had eluded the law were in his clutches, what? He was determined to bring justice. He was a young, ambitious lad. There's commas between young, ambitious, and lad. He was a young, ambitious lad. And then there's three dots. So the way this is going to read is, he was a young, ambitious lad. Too ambitious for Breeze's taste. Why am I here? Breeze asked. Breeze, as you know, I've been following your family for quite some time. This case is strong, completely rock solid. Before the death of your brothers and your boyfriend, my focus is on convicting them. Their deaths don't mean that this case goes away. Someone still has to pay for the damage that's been done to the streets of Miami. You know what I've always wondered, especially after watching the first this this last Ghostbusters movie, um, who pays for the damage that heroes do to the streets? Like it, when police officers and bad boys took out all of Miami with like rocket launchers and shit, who paid for that? Who pays for it when a car gets hit or, or, or you know, a, a home gets destroyed? Who pays for that? Seriously. The PA pulled out a manila folder and began to pull out still photographs. Your family, your father, your brothers had destroyed this community, he said. He placed a picture of a young boy laid out in his own blood before her. Breeze didn't flinch. He then placed a picture of a young toddler who had been hit by a stray bullet. Again, Breeze was unmoved. There were casualties in war. Innocent people had lost their lives behind the melee of the cartel. Breeze felt badly for the people in the pictures, but she was raised up in a game where death was an everyday factor. She had lost everything, and no one was sitting back mourning for her, feeling sorry for her. Breeze had experienced it all, and she was still here, standing tall. She gave no fucks about anybody who was outside the scope of the cartel family. If her brothers had executed anyone, they had deserved it. As many losses as the cartel had taken, she felt no qualms about the losses of others. Okay. 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 So the breeze that was in the book like four books ago is now a hardened streetwise person because she was sexually assaulted, held hostage and captive, turned into a junkie and then forced to be and forced into sex trafficking. 
And somehow that made her horror like fuck everybody but me and my family. Because she used to be the empathetic soul. So, okay. Um, I don't buy it. I don't like it. I'm not really here for it. But okay. They're going to fuck her over pretty soon anyway. These are sympathy tactics you use on a jury, Daniel. Cut to the chase. What do you want? Rosenberg asked. I'd like to put a deal on the table, Broom said. When I get the jury to convict, you will go away for the rest of your life. You're a young woman, Breeze. You don't want to grow old in prison. If you give me the cocaine supplier, we can shift the focus of this case to a larger entity. Breeze remained stoic as she sat back judging the suit and tie, white bread, lawyer. Commas between tie, white bread, and lawyer. Judging the suit and tie, white bread, lawyer. He has no idea what he's up against, she thought. I'm never going to cooperate. This is a waste of my fucking time. Snitching wasn't an option. Emilio Estes supplied the cartel, so she would only be freeing family to enslave family. It was a catch-22. Did he, though? Because as far as I remember, they had to, like, dip out and go to a whole nother country because Emilio was only supplying money with drugs. Right? Like, the streets had dried up when money was trying to take over. Right? That was last book. Can I have a moment with my client? Rosenberg asked. Breeze raised her hand. We don't need a moment. There's nothing to talk about. We'll pass, she said. Breeze stood to her feet, signaling that the meeting was over. Rosenberg followed her lead. See you in court. Breeze walked out of the office and bumped directly into a girl. Excuse me, the girl said. She quickly turned her head and kept walking, but her presence made Breeze freeze in her steps as she watched the girl make a hasty retreat. Goosebumps formed on her arms as her heart beat rapidly as her fight-or-flight instincts kicked in. It was as if she had seen a ghost. The girl had only spoken two words of Breeze, but that was all that was needed for Breeze to recognize the voice. There was a murder mama in town, and as Breeze hightailed it out the office, fear chilled her to the bone. Breeze, is everything okay? Rosenberg didn't even get a response. All he saw was Breeze's shaken facial expression as she disappeared behind the closing elevator doors. Mia Moore! Lena and Mia Moore stood to their feet in alarm as they heard Breeze's distressed voice break through the mansion. What's wrong? Lena asked as Breeze entered the kitchen, where they had congregated for lunch with the children. Ask her, Breeze said as she pointed towards Mia Moore. Mia Moore frowned as she withdrew the bottle from Baby Carter's mouth. Lower your voice, please, before you scare the kids, Mia Moore said with authority. Have a seat, pour yourself some wine, and calm down before you talk to me. Fuck the wine. I saw your friend today at Daniel Broom's office. She walked different and she talked different, but it was her. The bitch that helped kidnap me was in his office. I bumped right into her. My bitch, Mia Moore said with a smile. What? You knew she was here? Lena asked, distressed. Why is Lena distressed? She Shit didn't happen to her? Let's pour some wine. Let me explain, Mia Moore said. But first... Are you absolutely sure it was her? Bree shot Mia Moore a look that could kill. It was her, but why is she here? I want to visit Aries to see if she could help me get to the PA. She turned me down, but I guess she's had a change of heart, Mia Moore replied. Listen, Mia Moore, I forgave you because my brother loves you, but I don't fuck with your clique. I don't know them. They brought harm to the people I love. She's not welcome in Miami. If I have to, I'll put money on the problem to make it go away, Breeze said threateningly. Had Breeze been any other person making any other threat, Mia Moore would have bodied her. But Breeze was her sister. She had to remedy things between Aries and Breeze in order for everything to work. I need you to trust me, Breeze. You're my family, and I love you as such. She's not here to bring any more harm to you. I promise you on my son's life that she's here to help, Mia Moore reasoned. I don't care what she's here for. I don't rock with Aries, Breeze said, and I don't deal with people who deal with my enemies. Breeze stormed out of Mia Moore's home, livid, as hot tears burned at her eyes. Breeze? Lena called. Mia Moore sighed. Go after her. Make sure she's okay. Little money can stay here with us. 
You have to meet the accountant tonight anyway. You can pick him up in the morning. Lena kissed me a more on the cheek. I hope you're right about your friend being in town to help. We don't need any more betrayal amongst us. Mia Moore watched as Lena departed. She immediately picked up her phone and dialed Aries' number. Her presence could only help bring Carter back home. That's if Breeze didn't put her newfound power into play first. How'd Breeze get power? Like, where did this come from? Where are y'all blessing her with this power from now? Like, this is convenient. This is the thing. Candles flickered and the scent of sea salt filled the humid air as Lena walked into the five-star restaurant. White cloth tables and couples in love filled the space as Lena made her way to the table where Odin was seated. She was conservatively dressed in a flawless vintage Chanel pantsuit. She didn't want to give the wrong impression, but her beauty made it hard to hide her appeal. Her curves were sharp, and as she walked, she turned the heads of everyone around her. She came up behind Odin and said, I have to say, I don't appreciate the change of venue. I was expecting a more appropriate environment. She shifted uncomfortably, visibly displeased. Odom stood and placed his hand on her back as he guided her to her chair. He pulled it out for her before reclaiming his own spot. I'm a fan of the steak, Odom dismissed. Hmm, Linda smirked. We're here to talk about business. Let's be clear. Relax, Miss Devereaux. Lena, I understand your position. That doesn't make me any less intrigued by you. I must be honest. You seem more like a woman who prefers legitimate money. Money is money, she responded. I guarantee you, Lena, it isn't. No cop, no district attorney, no enemy can come and take my money away, Odom said. My wife will be secure forever. His words evoked something within her because she completely understood what he was saying. Just because it was truth didn't take the sting out of the words. An accountant's money can't afford me, she replied, slightly offended. Odom smirked as the waiter walked up with a tray full of food. I took the liberty of ordering. You don't even know what I like, Lena said. That's why I got a little bit of everything. It's good to try something new every once in a while, Miss Devereaux. You never know. You just might like it, Odom answered suavely. She cut her eyes at him, but the scent of the five-star cuisine invaded her senses as the waiter set the meal out in front of him. If this had been a date, she would have surely been intrigued by Odom. He was an eligible bachelor, charming, handsome, and well-off, but he was too slow for Lena. The white-collar job was too safe to ever make her panties wet. Because, you know, why do good girls like bad guys? While his efforts were flattering, they were in vain. In the end, all she wanted was the money. Odom thought that Monroe was deceased. Otherwise, he would never have the moxie to push up on his lady. While Lena was determined to draw a professional line clearly in the sand, Odom seemed insistent on crossing it. Tell me, Lena, how does a woman like you end up in such a delicate predicament, he asked. What's delicate about it? I have access to more money than people see in two lifetimes. Monroe left no stone unturned. My son and I will be well taken care of, she reminded. Once you hand over the funds, that is. It's very hard to produce that much money in cash without implicating myself. It will be much easier if I could arrange a trust for the three of you and your children, Odom said seriously. We want cash. Cash is untraceable, Lena said. Liquid cash is also dangerous. A trust makes you legitimate. That's what you want for the cartel, am I right? Legitimacy, Odom countered. Lena's mental wills turned as he spoke. She was savvy when it came to business, and she knew that he was right. If he set up the trust correctly, he could make it appear as though it was earned from legal sources. Cash would be risky. Every purchase would be scrutinized, and they would be able to secure no lines of credit. The cash would make them hood rich, but Lena and the girls were trying to establish an empire that could rival the likes of the Trumps and the Rockefellers. The sounds of Nina Simone cut through the air as a live band began their set. Dance with me, Odom said, his white smile decorating his face nicely. Lena cleared her throat and reached for a wine glass. 
She took a sip, extending her long neck upward as she took her time responding. Her red lipstick left a kiss of seduction on the glass. That would be inappropriate, she answered. Maybe, but it would also be fun. Odom stood to his feet and extended his hand to her. Lena smiled. She would have to watch this man. He was too smooth for his own good. But you just said that he's not your type. You just said that he's too slow. And so here's what's going to happen. Lena's going to fall in a passionate affair with this dude, knowing that money could still be alive. And then when he comes back, shit's going to hit the fan. Because money and love and her being unable to control herself. You're going to leave me hanging. Don't make me tuck my tail in embarrassment. One dance, he said. Lena rolled her eyes and gave him her hand while simultaneously throwing her napkin on the table. One dance, she shot. She stood and he escorted her onto the floor with the other patrons, who were gently swaying to the music. Odin pulled her close, but still left space between them so that she was comfortable. When is the last time you had fun? Lena's mind went down memory lane, but she knew that it had been so long ago that she couldn't recall exactly. Every day of your life should be fun, Lena. Carefree, comfortable, he said. He lifted his hand and spun her, then pulled her back close. Maybe in another lifetime, she said. I'm sure you're a very good man. In fact, you seem like the perfect man for a different kind of woman. I'm flawed. My life isn't black and white. I've been living in the grave for so long that I can never go back. A square life doesn't suit me. Lena let go of his hand as the music faded. Now, if you don't mind, let's talk more about this trust. The water parted like the Red Sea as Monroe's hands moved rhythmically as he swam with aggression. Fifty laps would become light work for him. The early morning sun was just rising. He could feel it warming his muscular back. He came up on the edge of the pool panting as he finished his a.m. workout. He admired the orange rays of morning light as they slowly seduced the slumbering earth into awakening. He eased his body out of the water and stood in tight swim shorts, the V-cuts of his lower abdomen toned and defined. Monroe was built like a Greek god. He was completely conscious of what he put into his temple. After surviving a near-death experience, he wanted to take care of himself and live as many years as he could. He was still playing catch-up for the five years he had lay in a coma. Feeling his pulse racing as he pushed his body to the limit made him feel alive. He did any activity that made his heart pump blood to his organs. Yoga, swimming, basketball, golf, weights, it didn't matter. Movement made him feel most alive. He grabbed the towel from the Saudi Arabian woman who waited poolside. Draped in beautiful fabric, she was his personal assistant. The Saudis had been very accommodating to them, and he felt completely comfortable in a faraway land. Carter instructed them to put home in the back of their minds, but being the control freak that he was, he always kept an eye on Miami, even from Saudi Arabia. Monroe walked over to the poolside spread to lay out for him. Breakfast and a USA Today were neatly placed out for him. It was a routine that he had done since leaving the States. It was his way of staying abreast in a world that was now so foreign. Shall I set a place out for Mr. Jones? His lovely assistant asked, causing Monroe to raise his head. He saw Carter emerging from the immaculate resort and headed towards him. He wore a casual confidence on his face, and a controlled arrogance led the cadence of his footsteps as he approached. For the first time in years, Carter wasn't strapped. He was completely carefree and soddy. No one posed a threat. They were amongst allies and it felt good. The only thing that was missing was his Mia Moore. And his son. You know, and his son. But, you know, whatever. In her absence, one thing was very certain. The lady still swooned over him. Even within a society where religion was so thick and women were held to higher standards, he still turned their panties to puddles whenever he entered a room. Yes. You can set up a place for him. Thank you, Monroe replied. It's kind of early for you, huh, bro? He greeted. I know you ain't trying to join me with the morning routine. From the looks of things, Saudi is treating you good. Nigga getting a gut and all. Carter chuckled. I don't do that sweating shit, bro. 
I'll leave that for you. I'm feasting like a king. This that money gut, playboy, he cracked jokingly. Carter sat across from Monroe and graciously accepted the coffee that Monroe's servant poured for him. Is there anything else you need, Mr. Jones? I would love to oblige any request, the girl cooed as she batted her eyes. Monroe smiled as Carter shooed the girl away, requesting privacy. Get your own desert girl. That's all me, Monroe said. Ladies recognize real muscle. That gym shit ain't working, bro, Carter teased. The men shared a friendly laugh, but Monroe could see that there was something Carter had come to get off his chest. I know you went up at the crack of dawn to banter. What's up, fam? Speak your piece, Monroe invited. I know I told you and Zaire to dead all communication back home, but I've kept my eyes and ears open to the circumstances of the cartel. As have I, Monroe admitted. Carter pulled a burner phone out of his pocket and pulled up a picture before passing it to Monroe. The average person wouldn't have been able to see the anger that suddenly struck Monroe, but Carter noticed the tension that had filled his jawline. As Monroe stared at Lena dancing closely with their accountant, Odom, he was livid. Apparently, Odom hasn't given up the money in the Swiss accounts yet. I'm told that Lena's being compliant to his dinner request, his impromptu business meetings, just to keep things running smoothly until he turns over the cash. He thinks you're dead. Your while you are, not while you apostrophe re. They spelled it while you are. Lena is a beautiful woman. Monroe slid the phone back over to Carter. Don't worry about it, he said arrogantly. That square ass nigga don't have a chance with my girl. If a nigga can pull my bitch, he could have her. <laughs> Carter nodded. Just wanted to let you know what Lena and the girls were up against. Who do you have at your eyes in Miami? Monroe pondered. F Boogie, who else? Carter answered, matter of factly. Mia Moore doesn't even know that I'm in communication with him yet. Monroe nodded. He's a smart kid. Definitely need to promote him for his loyalty when we return, Monroe said. I'll get with you later, fam. Monroe headed up to his penthouse suite. Although he didn't wear his heart on his sleeve, he was highly bothered by Odin's blatant lack of morals. He hadn't been dead long enough for anyone to push up on his lady, especially not a close family friend. There were two things that Monroe didn't play games about. His money and his woman. And his child. Like, there should be three things, y'all. Come on now. Chapter 7 The Young Diamond Princess Always Has Been Easily Shaken Ares Mia Moore knew Ares well enough to know that when time was right, she would make her presence known. After Breeds of spotting, Mia Moore decided not to call her old friend, but instead to give her room to work. What the hell do you have up your sleeve, Ares? Mia Moore wondered. She looked at the text message she had received from an undisclosed sender. Anonymity did little to hide the identity of the sender. It was Ares. As Mia Moore went to the place she used to call home, so many memories flooded her system. I really need y'all to use commas. As Mia Moore went to the place she used to call home, so many memories flooded her system. Mia Moore was headed to her old condo in Miami. It was when she had sat in with all her girls, including her sister, plotting in. It was a place where she had first realized that her love for Carter was real. It was familiar to me and more, and when she pulled in front of the building, she smiled. It was nothing like the castle she lived in now, but at one time in her life, it had been home. She left her car on the street and fed the meter before heading up. She was cautious because she feared being under the federal scope. She drove around in circles for at least an hour before heading to her true destination. She took the steps, an old habit from her hit woman days. She never liked closed off spaces. Elevators left her vulnerable. She would rather go up and down a million stairs than be a sitting duck in a confined space. Her calves burned until she conquered the 15 flights that led to her old doorstep. A light sweat had formed under her clothes and she gave herself a moment to steal her racing heart. It's a lot of steps, right? Aries' voice echoed in the stairwell, causing me and more to spin around. Aries was one flight above her. She was the only other person in the world who had opted for the hard route. They were one and the same. Bitch, I should have known, Mia Moore said. 
Now, you mind filling me in on how you weaseled your way inside the PA's office? You nearly sent Breeze on a tirade after she bumped into your ass. Thanks for the heads up. The young diamond princess always has been easily shaken, Ares recalled. Let's go inside. I'll explain everything. I think I have something that can help you. Mia Moore watched as Ares unlocked the door and walked inside. The apartment was white walls and white carpet, bare with the exception of a blow-up mattress that filled the space. What made you decide to help me? Mia Moore asked. Ares placed her hands on her wide hips and shrugged. I knew your crazy ass would have tried to do it yourself if I didn't help. Through it all, Mia Moore, you are my sister. We're the only ones left. Where's your son? Mia Moore asked. Somewhere safe, Ares said shortly. I'm not here to stay. I'll never move him to the place where I've done so much dirt. Once the job is finished, I'm going back into the shadows. Understood, Mia Moore replied. How'd you get a job at the prosecuting attorney's office? Ares reached into her skin-tight jean pockets. They hugged her thighs so snugly that her hand barely fit into the pockets. She pulled an ID badge out and handed it to Mia Moore. Shit, I don't work for the prosecuting attorney. I snagged an ID badge, clipped it to my shirt, and walked in the building like it was home. There's so many interns running around there fetching coffee and making copies and nobody even batted an eye. They just think I'm another face to do their odd jobs and make lunch runs. You're a bold bitch, Aries. I'll give you that. If one fingerprint is traced, it won't be. I'm careful, she asserted. Aries pulled out her phone and opened her email. I've been around the office for a few weeks now, and at first I couldn't find anything. The fact that Broom was so squeaky clean is what made me determined to keep digging. Nobody has no dirt. There's always something. A cheating spouse, a kid, or a parent on dope. Your homeboy Broom was pulling up too clean. So how does this help me? Mia Moore asked, impatient. I started clocking his movement, his emails, his calendar, and on Thursdays at 4 p.m., there's a firm meeting that he leaves the office to attend. I logged into the system with his ID, but I couldn't get an idea of who he was meeting, so I followed him, she said. Aries went to the hall closet and retrieved a leather MCM backpack. She removed the DSLR camera, unscrewed the expensive lens, and then passed the body to Mia Moore. Flip through the picture, she instructed. You know who that is? Mia Moore went through the still images. I can't tell. You don't have any of his face? Is he gay? He's meeting with his lover? I don't understand. She kept moving through the images until finally... Timmy, two-time final, appeared on the screen. He's meeting with the mob, Mia Moore whispered as her brow furrowed and her fingers clicked the buttons anxiously while she gripped the camera tightly. She was speeding through the picture so fast they began to play in front of her like a movie. Broom was passing Timmy Bono a stuffed yellow envelope, but before she could inquire about the contents, the next flick showed Timmy Bono pulling money out and thumbing through it. Are they paying him off for a case? Mia Moore asked. He's placing bets, Ari said. He's in a horse race and bad. How can you be sure? Mia Moore asked with a gasp and a glint of mischief in her eyes. Gamblers have a language of their own. My husband used to gamble. If you sit back and listen, they don't talk about favorite sports teams. They focus on the numbers. The overs, unders, the spreads. They talk about the breed of a horse, its bloodline. I know an addict when I see one. Timmy Bono's the biggest Italian gangster in Florida. He retired here from Chicago. He's not into the drug scene, but he's the head of the largest underground gambling ring on the East Coast. Everybody places bets with him. Athletes, actresses, rappers, and apparently prosecuting attorneys. The question is, what's he betting on? Mia Moore asked. The races, Aries replied matter-of-factly. The Kentucky Derby's coming up, and he's preparing to put it all on the line. I told you, he's got a bad itch for the horses. Then, they didn't say then, they said then, T-H-A-N. Then, let's put him in a position where he has everything to lose, Mia Moore whispered as she painted a beautiful picture of deception in her head. The smell of money laced with cigar smoke and manure filled the air. Elaborate hats with feathers and jewels set atop the heads of the women in attendance, and everyone had brought out their finest wares. 
Aries and Mia Moore blended with the eclectic crowd. They didn't want to gain attention, so they kept their presence demure. The entire front row around the entire track is big fish, Aries schooled. Mostly Asian. They always have the most money in the pot. This shit is unreal, Mia Moore said as she looked around the massive track. She had thought the Miami Championship crowds were thick. The entire city came out whenever the popular team played, but the entire world seemed to show up for the derby. She bumped into so many people that her shoulder was beginning to feel sore. Mia Moore had to check her temper and keep a level head. Everything is riding on today, she thought. Inside of her Birkin, she had an envelope filled with $75,000. More money than any stable hand would ever see at one time. Mia Moore was sure that this would get her next to Mona Lisa, the prize-winning legendary horse that Broom had placed $100,000 on. When Mia Moore found out that Broom was a gambling man, she knew she had him. The question was, how had he come up with such a hefty sum of cash to place the bet in the first place? After much digging, Aries discovered that Broom had borrowed the cash from the evidence locker in a federal case. His horse was what the gambling world would call a favorite. All of the odds fell in his favor. Once Broom collected his winnings, he would be able to replace the cash while keeping 50000 that he had flipped in the race. The plan would have been foolproof had it not been detected. Now Mia Moore was about to ruin his life. They were oblivious to the festivities. Mia Moore and Aries kept their eyes on the horses. They watched the jockeys. They watched the people behind the gates as a horse retired after its race. Their eyes caught everything, until finally Mia Moore chose her mark. Her, she said with certainty. How do you know? Aries asked. I just know, Mia Moore said. Aries had seen the determined look on Mia Moore's face many times before, and she trusted her friend's intuition. She shrugged with indifference. All right, let's do it. The duo waited for hours until they finally noticed the woman they had seen earlier at the track, emerging and heading towards the parking lot. Her long hair fell in one length past her middle back and was pulled into a sloppy ponytail. Her dirty clothes revealed the fact that she had worked closely with the horses all day. The woman slightly hunched over, her posture poor as she walked tiredly to her car. Follow her, Mia Moore instructed Aries, and like clockwork, they pulled out of the parking lot right behind their mark. Mia Moore and Aries worked like two hands, one washed the other. It was as if they had fallen right back into their old ways. They were parts of a well-oiled machine. Their work was efficient and flawless. Hurry, don't lose her, Mia Moore urged anxiously. They tailed her for half an hour before pulling across the street from a small blue house with worn shutters and peeling paint. The front screen door was hanging halfway off the hinges, but the woman beamed gratefully as she got out of her car, as if she were going home to a palace. Mia Moore waited until the woman placed her key in the lock before she exited her car. Aries looked left, Mia Moore right. The streets were bare. Cloaked in the night shadow, their identities were concealed. It was a perfect stage for treachery, but Mia Moore hoped that things played out smoothly. Mia Moore hurriedly walked up the walkway, and just as the woman was pushing the door open, Mia Moore was forcing her inside. Ah! The woman yelled, startled. Shh! Mia Moore said as she cupped her mouth. Is there anyone else inside this house? she asked. The woman's eyes were filled with terror when Ares brandished her forty-five while she looked around cautiously. She shook her head. The home was barely the size of a small apartment, and Aries checked it quickly. No one is here, she informed. Good. That'll give us privacy to talk, Mia Moore said. I'm going to take my hand from over your mouth. You can't scream. If you scream, then my friend here is going to have to silence you. Permanently. Nod your head if you understand me. The woman nodded frantically, and Mia Moore let her go. What do you want? I'm a poor old woman. I don't have anything of value, she said. You have something that's of great value to me, Mia Moore said softly. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm here to offer my help in return for yours. The woman stood, clutching herself as her eyes danced back and forth between Mia Moore and Aries. I don't understand, she stammered. Please sit, Mia Moore said. The woman did as she was told while fear corrupted her heart. You have access to the horses in tomorrow's 6 p.m. race, Mia Moore started. 
The woman nodded nervously. I need the Mona Lisa sabotage, and I'm willing to pay $75,000 for your assistance, Mia Moore said bluntly. Flabbergasted, the woman immediately shook her head. I I can't. I, I can never. I love those horses. Mia Moore looked at the stack of bills on the entry table. It looks like you could use the money. No offense, but this is hardly living, she said, referring to the house. She was trying to get what she wanted by using sugar before the situation turned to shit. The woman stood. Please, you have to leave. I don't want your money. I'll get by. Please, I'm not interested, the woman pleaded fearfully. She was obviously frightened as she tried to usher her unwanted guest to the door. Mia Moore hated to put this burden on the woman's heart. She seemed nice, and Mia Moore knew that she had grown soft. In the past, she wouldn't have cared about her mark. But today, she felt compassion for the disheveled woman before her. Not many people would turn away from such a large sum of money. The woman had principles, and Mia Moore respected it. It wouldn't help the woman out of the situation, but still, Mia Moore gave the woman a few points for trying to stand her ground. Okay, remember I tried it the nice way first, Mia Moore said, her voice suddenly cold. She walked around the living room as if she owned the place, until her gaze fell upon a mantle of framed pictures. What do we have here? Children? I bet you'd hate to see anything bad happen to them. Please. The woman's eyes were wide and filled with tears as her bottom lip trembled. Look, bitch, let me make this perfectly clear. I just want y'all to know I've been reading all this and just skipping past all their errors because I didn't want to take away from the whole of the, the scene and all. But they don't believe in him. Look, bitch, let me make this perfectly clear. Aries interrupted as she placed her gun to the woman's head. You're going to inject Mona Lisa with a shot tomorrow directly before the race. Simple, quick, and easy. If you refuse by the time you leave the tracks, little Miss Blondie up there? Aries pointed to the picture of the woman's daughter. And those two ugly little grandkids of yours will be dead before you get home. Don't think we can't find them. We've done this for quite some time, I assure you. We're quite good at it, Aries threatened. Mia Moore stepped up. All you have to do is inject one shot. It'll be the easiest $75,000 you will ever make, Mia Moore finished. Do we have a deal? The woman nodded in trepidation as her tears finally broke free and fell down her face. Relax. You do this and you'll never hear from us again. You don't and we'll be back. Next time for blood. You tell anyone about this little visit and you'll be burying your entire family by the week's end, Aries threatened. Mia Moore handed the woman a shot of a drug called Lasix. Some breeders use the drugs to stop their horses' lungs from bleeding while racing. It was three times the normal amount the breeders usually gave their horses before a race. It would dehydrate Mona Lisa so badly that the horse would most likely die before ever meeting the finish line. Once Broom was broke and desperate, Mia Moore would have him right where she wanted him. It was only a matter of time. Odin pulled his Aston Martin out in the traffic as he loosened his necktie. The day had been long and stressful. Gathering the money the cartel had stacked for a rainy day had required all of his focus. He had needed to ensure that he didn't leave a paper trail that would lead him to the big house. He had set up two trust accounts, one for Mia Moore and the other for Lena. Because they weren't directly related to the cartel, he could create whatever financial history he wanted them to have. Since Mia Moore had practically lived under the grid since her teenage years, her credit was non-existent. Lena had worked in cash, so her credit was neither good or bad. It was easy for him to manufacture perfect credit scores for them both. Breeze, on the other hand, was another story. Her family was deeply rooted in the drug game, and any trust that he set up for her would have been immediately seized. Her money was placed in Lena's account for safekeeping, but he wasn't ready to hand over the key to their new fortune yet. Odin was smitten with Lena and wanted nothing more than a shot to quarter. She had accepted the dinner invitation, but he knew that once she had access to her own money, she wouldn't need him anymore. He needed a little bit of time to show her that a legit life wasn't so bad. His attraction was strong, and he was trying to get to know her. The late-night text messages that he would send her were always politely returned. His early, morning, beautiful lines answered immediately, but always safely. He understood her hesitance. She was a new widow. Her last relationship had left her lonely, overwhelmed, and hurt, 
but Odin was determined to crack her. He wanted to introduce her to something new. Her consistent nose only made him more persistent. A man of the upper class, he was used to getting his way. Most women let him have his way with them with just a flash of his black card. Yeah, none of that whole last paragraph sounds rapey at all. He was attractive, successful, important, but he lacked the raw edge that Lena was drawn to. In the end, when she was around him, she didn't feel that familiar pulse in her pussy. Mecca had made her feel it at first sight, and Monroe had made her wish she didn't. Odom knew that he had his work cut out for him. He was up for the challenge. He was hoping that the unexpected bouquet of roses he had sent over to her home would at least be rewarded with a call. He had been anticipating her response all day. He picked up his phone and saw that he had no missed calls. Fuck it, he whispered to himself as he took matters into his own hands. There's nothing wrong with going after what I want, he coached himself. The phone rang twice before the husky melody of her voice filled his ear. Hello? She answered. Just the sound of that voice brings so much joy to what has otherwise been a shitty day, he said. Oh, really? Lena replied. He smiled because he could hear the laughter in her voice. It couldn't have been that bad. You had the time you scheduled to send flowers to my door. Odom chuckled and replied, You're quite a distraction, Miss Devereaux. You don't seem quite like the roses type of girl, but they are beautiful all the same. I thought I'd play it safe. They aren't my favorite flowers, she admitted, but the arrangement was beautiful. Thank you. When can we expect to have our affairs in order? We can arrange an affair anytime you're ready, he joked. Odom, you're a really nice man, but I'm... Easy, Lena. Don't stick me with the fork yet. I'm not done. It was only a joke. I hate that phrase, it was only a joke. Well, you gotta say it was only a joke, that means you know it wasn't a joke and people took it as it wasn't a joke and you gotta say it was only a joke in order for them to not flash on you. What you're doing is wildly stepping outside the boundaries of a business relationship and you know it. And you know what she's looking for and you just don't care. I understand your situation. I just want it to be known that I plan to wait. As long as it takes for you to get over your loss. Your loss. Her man just died as far as you know. As long as it takes for you to get over your loss. I'm very interested in making you mine. Her sigh was heavy on the other end of the line. <sighs> Maybe I can take you to lunch. We can discuss the trust. All of the money is in two accounts. I can explain everything to you tomorrow. Maybe, just maybe, you'll tell me your favorite flower. That way, next time, I know what to send. You pick the place this time, and I promise I'll stick to your plans. I'll think about having lunch with you, she said, after a long pause. After we close out our business, I'll meet you at your office at noon. I'm looking forward to it, Odom said flirtatiously. Good night, Odom. Lena finished. Odom could hear the sweetness in her tone, and he ended the call with a half-smile, feeling hopeful. Hope quickly faded into alarm when he saw the hooded figure rise out of his back seat. You, you, don't, you don't check your car when you get in. Like, you don't look over your shoulder when you back out of a space. Like, how exactly did you not notice a nigga in your back seat? Like, do you have an alarm on your car? I mean, even if this is like 2015, your car should still be protected by Viper or something like that. So, how the fuck did he get in your car? You just talking reckless, just flirting with uh, people's widows, right? You don't look to see if somebody's in your car? Okay. I don't know what the fuck you smiling for, playboy. That little lunch date ain't happening, Fly Boogie retorted as he pressed cold steel against the back of Odom's neck. You was putting all your game down, too. My bosses feel like that's a little bit disrespectful. Slimeball motherfucker. Look, you can have whatever you want. I have money. I don't want your money. I have a message from Monroe Diamond, Fly Boogie said. His bitch ain't on the market. Odom's eyes doubled in size as he realized this goon had been sent by a ghost himself. I meant no disrespect.
Fly Boogie hit Odom hard against his skull, causing him to wince as his head jerked forward and the car momentarily went off course. Pull this motherfucker over, Fly barked. Please dig this, Fly Boogie said calmly as the car rolled to a stop on the side of the road. Tomorrow, you're going to hand over the money to Lena and cut off all communication with her going forward. If not, I'm going to visit your mom out in Aventura off Biscayne Boulevard. Am I clear? Crystal, Odin replied. He didn't have to ask how Fly knew his mother's address. He knew exactly who he was fucking with. The caliber of the cartel's reign hadn't been seen since the days of the New York and Chicago Italian mobs. The Diamond family was heavy in Miami. He didn't know what he was thinking approaching the widow of the cartel. He had let his little head get him into a beef when in actuality he wasn't built for that life. Good. Now get out the car, he ordered. Odom stepped out of the car and got into the shower of rainfall that fell from the sky. Fly Boogie got out, gun trained on Odom. Please don't kill me, Odom said calmly, realizing he was fucking with an entirely new type of drug dealer. One that neither the feds nor death could catch. Get on the ground, Fly Boogie hollered as he kicked in the back of Odom's knee, causing it to buckle. He fell to the wet ground gritting his teeth and kicking himself for being so unaware of his surroundings. Better cut Lena loose tomorrow, motherfucker. This lights out for you, Fly Boogie said. Sincerely, Monroe Diamond. Fly Boogie climbed into the driver's seat and rolled down the window. Oh, pussy-ass nigga. He spat an insult before pulling off recklessly. Water backsplashed onto his expensive suit as he watched Fly Boogie speed away from the scene. Fuck! Odom shouted as he climbed to his feet, throwing his fists in the air in frustration. He had clearly fucked with the wrong man's wife. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook um, You can leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts Copy and paste that into Good Pods Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out on Good Pods and Podchaser I appreciate it You can donate to the show at Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast Or at BuyMeACoffee.com slash SSCast Or on the Good Pods app We have a tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.